Hi, welcome to Quiet Connection, where we're ending the stigma around postpartum mental health. I'm Chelsea. Today we're chatting with Erin, a special educator and mom of four. Let's hear her story. Hey, so today I'm here with Erin. Hi, Erin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I'm um, 35. <laughs> I'm currently a stay-at-home mom. I was a special educator in an elementary school, um, but then after my twins were born last year, I decided to stay home instead of going back to work. I have four kiddos. They're six, three, and the twins are 15 months. You are busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What were you like or who were you before you became a mom? I mean, I guess I still like and do a lot of the same things. It's just a little different, right? I still love to read. And so I read a lot more now, but or not a lot more now. I read a lot more like on my Kindle and my phone now instead of like real books because I never have two hands. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is fine. I, you know, it's not, it's fine. But I, so I still read. Uh, I still love getting outside and hiking. It's just shorter trails. You know, I haven't hiked Mansfield since before my first kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we go to the the state parks and the shorter trails. Um, and I mean, it, it's still nice. It's still nice getting outside. I did have to give up teaching dance. I I was a competitive Irish dancer for a long time and I got my teaching certificate and I was teaching a couple days a week but the studio is just too far from home and it's at bedtime. And when you're trying to get four kids down, it's solo bedtime is not really an option. No. Um, so I, I did have to give that up, which was a bummer, but I'm hoping that I can go back to it at some point. We'll see. Yeah, that was really cool, though. So obviously the listeners don't know, but we worked together and I we, <laughs> we worked in <laughs> we the did. same school district. And I always used to love when... I think your company came and mm-hmm. did some dance performances at the school and some of our other coworkers danced with you and those events were always really fun to go to. Definitely miss that. I did actually though there the Burlington Irish Heritage Festival had a Kaylee um that a local dance school hosted on Sunday and I brought my two oldest kids to that and that was oh, kind cool. of fun to let them, you know, they got to learn a little bit of dancing and they enjoyed that so it was a a way to keep it in our lives a little bit. Yeah. So did you feel like you suffered from some sort of postpartum mental health disorder with all of your kids, one of your kids? I mean, I I definitely did not have anything with my daughter. Um, she was my my middle baby and she was like just a, that that whole postpartum experience was like a dream. It was great. <laughs> um, but I definitely like looking back at my experience with my oldest, I definitely had some more significant anxiety than I think I realized at the time um, because yeah. he was my first and I didn't know. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then with the, with the twins, it was definitely my most, difficult postpartum experience. Um, Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So they were a high risk pregnancy. We found out, you know, when I had my first ultrasound that they were twins, but they there's, which I didn't realize are different kinds of twins. And so they were 
like Modi twins, which means that even though they had their own like amniotic sac, they shared the same placenta. Okay. And so there are lots of like different complications that can arise from them sharing the same placenta. So I, I was with the maternal fetal medicine um, team at UVM and starting, you know, at, I don't know, around 12 weeks, I was, I was with them. Plus I had also had preeclampsia with Nora. And so that was another just factor that, you know, cause, cause twins are higher risk for that as well. So they were monitoring me pretty closely. And then around 14 weeks, we had an ultrasound where they were showing signs of twin to twin transfusion, which is like, they basically, they weren't sharing the placenta equally. And one twin was kind of like taking a little bit more from the other, um, is my non-scientific explanation. <laughs> you can Google it if you want a better one. Um, and, and the, the best treatment for that is to have uh, in utero surgery where they like laser the vessel connections, um, but that can't happen until 16 weeks at the earliest. And we were only 14 weeks. And so we kind of had to wait and just sort of hold our breath for two weeks and hope that they both made it to 16 weeks and that we were able to get the surgery. They also don't do the surgery here in Vermont. There's only like certain centers around that have enough of a high volume that it makes sense for them to have the surgeons and the equipment and stuff. So I had to go to Yale to have the surgery done. Wow. And then it was like just constant. I mean, I was at the MFM for ultrasounds and stuff like twice a week from then on. Wow. Throughout the whole rest of your pregnancy. Yeah. So by the, t- by the time I got to uh, my maternity leave, I had used up all of my sick time. Yeah. <laughs> um, the team was great, but it was like really hard because it felt like every single time I went for an ultrasound, I was just like, holding my breath, waiting to make sure there were two heartbeats and that, you know, it wasn't something else to worry about this week. Like, oh, you know, the, the fluids are not equal. So like now we have to swab to make sure you're not leaking amniotic fluid after the surgery. And okay, you're not, but like, we still don't know why the fluids aren't equal. So now you have to go back down to Connecticut and check in with them and they don't really know either. And hopefully it's fine. And, you know, now one of the babies has a, like a growth in his lung that we have to monitor. And now, you know, like, and it was just like constant. It felt like every time I went, there was something new to worry about. So I feel like I was just kind of like, okay, like we're going to make it to the end. And like there, you know, we're, we're going to hope that there's two babies and everybody's fine at the end. And we're, we were going to make it there. And, um, shockingly enough, we did, we made it all the way to 35 weeks, six days. (laughs) Yeah. Which was crazy because like having that surgery so early, they, figured I was like at a huge risk for early labor, but I like I did like three weeks of modified bed rest right after. And then when I went back to work and stuff, it was like I didn't lift anything. I didn't even lift my two year old at the time. Like that's hard. It was. And so like Joe had to be there every time we wanted to take her in and out of her crib or like carry laundry up and down the stairs or put her in her car seat or whatever. So it was like really tricky. And so anyway, I feel like I was under this high stress pregnancy for like the whole time. And I thought, I guess in my head that like, okay, if we make it to the finish line and both babies are there, like everything's going to be fine. And I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be stressed about this anymore. And I mean, luckily I I had been seeing a therapist kind of through the whole pregnancy because that was helpful to my mental state for that. So then, you know, we made it to to the C-section, which was also a different experience for me because I was induced with my other two kiddos. Um, but we, I wanted to do a C-section with the twins because I just 
could not handle anything else not being planned or, you know, like if something went wrong or whatever, like I just, I wanted the whole team to be there. I wanted it to be planned. And, but it also felt like a really disconnected experience for me in a way that the other two hadn't, right? Because like I, and I was so nervous about the C-section that they, you know, had given me some like anti-anxiety meds when I went in there. And so like, I feel like the whole time I was just sort of like zoned out and I didn't really, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it was like, yeah, you weren't really part of the experience. Right. And like, I remember like hearing them cry for the first time, but like they had two NICU teams there and they kind of like whisked them away right away, you know, so I didn't like get to hold them or anything. And, um, you know, it was just, it was just very like clinical and not as like, like physical and as an experience as the other labors had been. And then you know, when they, the NICU teams checked out the babies and they thought like, okay, I think they're going to be good, you know? Um, and so they sent them back to the room with us, but then like at different points, both of them like turned blue while they were in our arms because they started having apnea episodes. And so then they got like whisked back off to the NICU, which again, like, I, I feel like I had mentally kind of prepared myself for there to be NICU time. So I was like, okay, it's fine. Like they're in the NICU, not a big deal. Like my first baby was in the NICU for a couple of days. So I kind of had an idea of like what that experience was going to be like. But then, um, so now it's Thursday or Friday. It's Friday. So I have my C-section on Wednesday. Now it's Friday. And I get a call from my parents who are watching my older kids that one of them got sent home from daycare with a fever. Oh no. I'm like, oh, awesome. Okay. And then we get an email from the daycare that there's been RSV going around the daycare. Right. So now I'm like, okay, I call my parents. I call the doctor. I I want the big kids to go in and get tested. Like I need to know. So they bring the big kids in, they get them tested. We find out that they're positive for RSV. So I'm like, okay. Uh, So now, now Joe and I need to get tested for this. And so we both get tested. I'm confined to my room. I can't go to the NICU anymore to visit the babies. The doctors have to put on like the full gear every time they come in because they don't, you know. So of course, Joe and I end up testing positive for RSV. So now, like, we can't, we cannot go to the NICU for like two weeks. We're at home. The whole family is sick. My parents got it. Everybody is sick. Like, coughing is terrible for a C section scar. Or not yeah, scar, like, I, wound I know. Or whatever. So it's just like, oh my gosh. And like, you know, we had to like zoom with the babies <laughs> to see them. I had, you know, I had to call the NICU for updates. Like, I was pumping at home, but we had to drive to the hospital to drop off the milk. They were born on December 8th. So like, it's almost Christmas. <laughs> like, yeah. It was just the whole thing was just like, I was, I was prepared for NICU time. I was not prepared to suddenly like be home and not be able to see the babies or hold them or, you know, do anything with them. And so there were, there were like a lot of tears at that point. I mean, like it, I was like crying every day, but like, I didn't, it didn't really register that like anything was heading in like a negative mental health direction because like when they ask you those questions, it's always like, well, are you crying every day for no reason? And I was like, I absolutely have a reason to cry. So like, this is, this is fine. This is, you know, like, it's okay. It's not a big deal. So we get through and then like, finally, you know, like we're better. We have a couple of days where we get to go visit them in the NICU. Like things are are going okay. And then they say like, oh, you know, we're getting ready and baby B can come home. He's ready to come home. And like the day that he came home, I like cried all day. Like it was almost like I didn't like want him to come home because I was like so 
nervous about like his breathing and like, were we going to be able to do this? You know, um, like I didn't want him to get sick. And so he comes home and we, we bought these like monitors for their breathing because there was no way that I was even going to be able to shut my eyes unless there was like an alarm that was going to go off if he stopped breathing or something. So he came home and that was Christmas Eve. He came home. And so of course now I'm like, his brother's going to spend Christmas in the hospital all alone. Oh no. (laughs) It was so sad. (laughs) And so it was another week before baby A could come home. Um, And he was having a lot more issues with feeding and it took him longer to get off the feeding tube. It took him longer to get off the oxygen. And, um, you know, they had had a couple different teams come in because they felt like he was like extra congested. He was having more apnea episodes and stuff, but they couldn't, you know, couldn't figure out why. So anyway, he starts to come home and I'm nervous about that. And then like at one point, like the day after he came home, it was like New Year's Eve. You know, we had we had, had a lot of family around and staying with us. Like my parents were still there and somebody was trying to give him a bottle because I was still just exclusively pumping for them because I couldn't like they couldn't latch. We weren't sure how much they were taking in. We had to fortify the bottles because they were preemies and we had to, you know, make sure they were gaining weight. But he was still having a really hard time like taking bottles without like coughing and choking and gagging. And then like he started having these really like like loud breathing episodes where I felt like he was, you know, like, and so anyway, I like panicked and we ended up in the ER with him. Oh my gosh. And, you know, cause I was worried about his breathing. And so then the ER doctor, you know, checked him and th- was saying that he thought maybe like laryngeal malacia or tracheal malacia was a possibility, which is like his airway is just kind of floppy. Yes. Um, and so, you know, then we've got that. And so now I'm just sort of like, descending into these like anxiety spirals about the, <laughs> the baby's yeah, breathing, you know, absolutely. And, like, constantly like checking on their breathing and, you know, like making sure that they were breathing and like having a hard time falling asleep because I was concerned about their breathing. And, you know, and of course, like everybody else in the house is stressed and we still have the big kids to be taking care of and stuff. And so like, I feel like I was like, oh my gosh, like I messed up everything, you know, like nobody's happy. Everybody's stressed. This is all my fault. Like I, I brought these babies home and, you know, but like the whole time it's like, I'm thinking like, well, of course I have reasons to be anxious and I have reasons to be sad. And like, I, you know, am like, this is normal. This is fine. I wasn't recognizing like the, that things were getting like to the point of like irrational anxiety or ir- mm-hmm. you know like I just like I didn't really see that happening and like at one point I think like Joe was saying like oh I'm you know kind of worried about you because I feel like you're like crying all the time and I was like well you know like hormones I'm stressed like it's it is what it is and um and then I feel like one of the the biggest symptoms for me that I didn't even realize was like a symptom of postpartum anxiety or depression was like I was feeling like all this like rage you know yeah. like, and, and it was like I was like really possessive of the babies too like I didn't want anybody else to hold them but like obviously I needed help because there was two of them and like there was also the big kids and but like I didn't want anyone else to hold them when they were feeding them I was like feeling really angry about it or you know it's just like like react like these people are here to help me you know it's like my mom it's my dad it's joe's mom it's his dad and like they're here to help and i was just having these like really you know like angry reactions to like everything and i you know i was trying to like hold that in and like go be angry on my own like in my room or something so i wasn't like being mean to people but like it like 
those reactions were getting like really intense. And because I was trying to like internalize all that rage, it was sort of like turning back into like anger, like at myself, I guess, you know, and and, like be like, and so then when people start asking like, oh, well, have you considered like, you know, hurting yourself or the babies or whatever, like, then the answer to that question started to turn towards more like, oh, well, yeah, I actually have like considered hurting myself, you know, like, um, and at that point, they were like, oh, well, let's get you connected with, you know, these resources and whatever. And so, you know, of course, everything is like virtual and online. And so I like met with somebody virtually, and um, they decided to prescribe Zoloft. And I started taking that. And like, I was actually really surprised because I wasn't really expecting anything because it was like a really low dose or whatever. But like within like a couple weeks of taking it, like I met with the therapist again and like, they were like, like your color is better. Like your affect is better. Like things are, you know what I mean? Like there's like a noticeable difference in the you that I saw three weeks ago and the you that I'm seeing today. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess like I haven't felt ragey at anybody in a couple of days. (laughs) So this is, this is good. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I kind of kept taking the medication and seeing the counselors and the boys got older and that helped, you know, yes. like we made, when we made it through six months without anybody not breathing. <laughs> you like, feel like you can start to get a little more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, making the decision to stay home instead of trying to figure out sending them childcare and going back to work like that made a difference too. I think being able to have that time with them. Cause I also felt like I missed so much of their beginning (laughs) those first few days Um, yeah so anyway that's sort of the the twin story that's the twin story yep so we have a special guest on with us right now we have one of aaron's (laughs) twins so if you if you hear any extra added commentary this is a mom podcast we welcome we welcome our littles so you said it was your husband who noticed that things were starting to change and mm-hmm. maybe were a little more concerning. Was was he kind of the reason that you reached out for help or did you see in yourself that you did you finally sort of see in yourself that you needed something? Um, it was actually more of like that six week like postpartum visit, which again was like online and not in person. <laughs> um, but right because but, you of know COVID. like they give you. Right. Yeah. They give you that little like quiz or whatever, you know, and like ask those questions. And I think like whatever my answers were like added up to them being like, oh, we can offer you to like see this person. I was like, okay, I guess that probably is a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) It's the the common the common thread here that I'm getting with a lot of the people that I'm talking to is it takes you saying, oh, yeah, I've thought about hurting myself or Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I've thought about hurting my kids. Mm-hmm. And like that's the straw, and and if that's kind of infuriating to me because there are a lot of steps before that mm-hmm. that can potentially avoid getting to that place if you yeah. got help earlier on. I was gonna say yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think that this experience changed your relationships at all, yeah. like your relationship with your husband or your relationship with your older kids or anything like that? I mean, in the moment, probably. I think not like permanently, though. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, I definitely was a bit more of an angry mom for a while, which my older kids probably didn't appreciate. 
because it was a huge transition for them too, right? Bringing mm-hmm. home two babies. And now all of a sudden, like mom is constantly attached to these two babies and she's not really paying attention to us. And when we try to get her attention, she snaps at us, you know? And, and so that was, that was tough. But things have leveled out. Yeah. That's mom's microphone. Mm-hmm. What do you think... I mean, there's a. It sounds like there was a lot of scary moments with the twins because they were preemies mm-hmm. and they had breathing problems. And what do you yeah. think for you was your darkest moment through the whole thing? Maybe where you felt the most not like yourself. Hmm, that is a good question. I mean, I guess like there was like a couple moments that like kind of stand out, and there is like one where it was like. It was bedtime and bedtime is always really stressful. And, you know, the boys were so young that they didn't have a bedtime yet. And so I was like, you know, upstairs trying to manage them and Joe was downstairs. And like, I think at one point, like literally everyone was crying. Everyone. Like, mm. Me, Joe, the babies, the big kids, like everyone was crying. And I was just like, oh, my God, what have I done? Like, why did we decide to have another kid? Why did you like I I ruined everything? Right. Like we you put a lot happy, of blame on yourself. Yeah. Like we had this happy family balance and now everybody is stressed and everybody is sad and like it's all my fault, you know? Um, yeah. And so I think that was like probably one of the more significant dark moments. And then like there was another like couple of times where um, it was like before I had transitioned, it was before. <laughs> before I had transitioned the babies to nursing. And so I was still pumping and, and I was, um, so like I was in my room pumping and somebody else was giving them a bottle and I like, Oh my gosh, I was just feeling these, like this really intense rage over it. And I like, that was when I was thinking about like hurting myself because like I, I felt somehow that I had to like internalize that rage. Cause like some part of me knew that it was like, irrational rage like I shouldn't be angry at these people for helping me with my babies and so I had to do something with all of that emotion I guess you know and and so I just decided to be angry at myself that's probably a really simplistic way of putting it but no that makes perfect sense though and 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 that's another common thread is that we blame ourselves Mm -hmm. we blame ourselves for our own suffering and and then we project um, our suffering onto others. We assume that everyone's angry with us because mm-hmm. we're angry with us. So you said the medication was super helpful and you were really surprised. Mm-hmm. You realized yeah. that, that it was as helpful as it was. Was there anything else that you think was a big part in your recovery and like maybe like a, a, a support person or something that you chose to do no, for no. yourself? I mean, it was it was definitely good that I was also continuing to be in therapy like you know because I had been kind of since the pregnancy um so I think that was definitely helpful and then I think the other part of it and this isn't like anything that I just say it wasn't winter anymore (laughs) that okay you're not the first person to say that okay that's that's also reassuring like yeah, like, it became March and the sun came back out and the snow started to melt and I could get out for a walk every day. And that made a huge difference. Yeah, living in Vermont um, makes it really difficult. If you can't get out and you can't get that fresh air and you can't get that sunshine, it really mm-hmm. compounds those feelings of anger and depression. 
Mm-hmm. What do you like about being a mom to four kids? Um, I mean, I I like how sweet and cute they all are. <laughs> yeah. The snuggles are my favorite. Yeah. The snuggles are my favorite. And I mean, I like I like watching them together too. Like it's really sweet when they have these like adorable sibling moments you know where they're like snuggling each other or playing together or, like helping each other out and I mean on the flip side there's also an equal number of moments particularly with my older two where they're not getting along but they you know it's I, I do like seeing them do those things together and I, I really like watching them like enjoy something Mm-hmm. You know, like when we bring them to the Echo or something and they're mm-hmm. like having a lot of fun and discovering things and and learning. And I really like watching that. I, I like watching them do things and learn things. And my like my oldest is starting to get interested in board games. And, you know, like that's really fun to be able to to do that with him. I told I had another question lined up and it slipped out of my head again because he's just so darn cute. <laughs> Do you ever have any regrets about not going back to teaching? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's definitely like it's a little bit more isolating to be home all the time. Um, You know, I feel like I don't see as many people or talk with as many people. But I I mean, I agonized about this decision forever. Um, But I felt like teaching like just requires so much from you. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, like I wasn't. I wasn't going to be able to give what I needed to give to be a good teacher. And I wasn't going to be able to give what I needed to give to be a good mom, you know, and, and my kids are only little this once. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, I didn't want to put myself in this position where like, I was feeling bad about being a mediocre teacher and bad about being a mediocre mom and, you know, like not able to do anything well. And, And then, you know, I mean, what ultimately kind of like pushed the decision was I would have had to put four and then three kids in childcare, which was like, I mean, I would have been working to pay for childcare and that did not feel good. No, um, you just, and and that's a whole other problem in this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm... The soapbox I'm standing on now is is maternal mental health, but like I could go on for days about the lack of funding for childcare and early childhood education, and maybe that can be your next podcast. That'll project. be my next one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Do you think yeah. you would ever tell your kids about the the experiences you went through with mental health challenges if it came up? Probably. I mean, not. I would. I would probably have to balance like when it comes up with like what I think that they can handle, Mm -hmm. you know, like if it comes up when they're like 12, you know, and, and up that conversation, I think would look a lot different than if it came up now. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, just kind of balancing like what would be beneficial to tell them. But I, I do think it's important that they know, you know, that like if, if you're struggling, it is okay to, to ask for help and that it, it like kind of normalized that. I mean, my, like my kids have sat in, not sat in, I guess, but they've seen me do the online therapy sessions, <laughs> so yeah. like they, you know, and like, I think what I, what I have said to them at the time was sort of like, well, you know, sometimes when you have really big feelings, it can help to, to talk to somebody 
who can help you work through those big feelings. And um, that's, you know, what I'm doing. It's like something along those lines. I'm having a hard time with some of my with some of my questions because then this is a good thing. Oh, like good. you well, not like you got help early mm-hmm. and you made it through. Mm-hmm. Like for for some of these other women that I'm talking to, A, they either didn't recognize it for what it was, or B, they had so much shame mm-hmm. that they didn't want to talk about it. So the process was a lot longer. Like, holy wow, you for like having that experience and getting the right help from the get go. And you're really lucky that the meds that they prescribed you were helpful. Um, yeah. Because a lot of people have to go through a lot of trial and error mm-hmm. before finding something. I guess, is there anything that you would change about the experience? I mean, there. Obviously, like you didn't want to have a pre- you didn't want to have preemie twins and everybody gets <laughs> sick at the same time and yeah and we didn't want that no but like in the big scheme of things would you change anything about the experience probably not not I mean nothing that like would actually be changeable yeah mm. you know because you have you have all four of your kids and they're all adorable and they're all that's good though. I, this is this is like this is a happy story. This is a this is a example of what happens when you get help early. Yeah, and this is a different experience, and it's you. It's it doesn't make your experience any less. No, I'm not upset about it. I think it's great. I think it's amazing that that you were able to get the support that yeah. you did. It's good. Like if the system works, then then it's good. Yeah, it just doesn't work very often. I'm just really yeah. glad that it worked for you. I mean, I think I was just in a lucky spot with like, I had a lot of help. And I also had a lot of people around me who have knowledge and experience in mental health, I guess. Not really mental health, but like my husband's a special educator, right? So he deals with people in the mental health field a lot. And, you know, a lot. So like he, I feel like is trained to notice some of those things in ways that maybe other partners don't or don't have experience with. That's a really interesting perspective because I... I was a special educator. I I, technically am still a special educator. I'm just not working. But... I didn't have any issue asking for help. Like I knew I needed help and I, and I asked for help and mm-hmm. maybe that's that common denominator. If it's something that you see, like I know what it looks like when a kid is dysregulated and needs that mm-hmm. help and, and what that feels like. So that's a really interesting perspective that I didn't even think about. Well, and I had had experience with the mental health system before. Like it's not the first time that I've ever had to deal with anxiety or depression. So I had already asked for help in my life before. Yeah, same. I guess so like I didn't really feel the same. I mean, but to be fair, like do my parents know that I'm on Zoloft? Like, I don't know. It wasn't like a conversation. You know what I mean? It's not something yeah. that I necessarily like went around like telling everybody. So I'm sure that that like there is still a little bit of that, like not shame, but like you know, like, oh, this is a private thing that I have to deal with, like, on my own kind of thing. But yeah, I, I had already had that experience of kind of like asking for help and, and being okay with with that vulnerability, which maybe other people, if it's their first experience with like a mental health crisis, don't have. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
are you still medicated or were you able to come off of your medication? Um, it's actually just, so when I first went on the medication, they said they usually keep people on it for about a year. And so like in a week or two, I think is the, you know, about a year since I went on the medication. Um, Mm -hmm. so I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure what our next steps are. It might be to try to wean off of it and see how that goes. It might, like, I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, right. And that's kind of like scary too. Cause like, you is. know, you're on this, like, you're like, okay, I finally made it to like some level of a status quo and then we're going to change something. And like, what if I go back there and what if it doesn't work to take me off of it? And how much work is it then going to take to get back to where I am now? And there's a lot of uncertainty there for sure. Yeah. That's exactly how I'm feeling. And I'm not even at that stage yet. <laughs> so, so I, I understand if there was someone out there who could relate to your story and maybe going through some similar things, what would you say to them? I would say that it is definitely okay to ask for help. Like, don't be like, oh, other people have it worse or, you know, like it's not a crisis yet. So I'm just going to like go through and be fine. It's, you know, if, if you feel like you're struggling, like ask, ask for help. It's okay. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's probably better to ask for help earlier than later. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Erin. It was really great to chat with you. I haven't got to chat with you in a while. Um, yeah, I know. And it was nice to, it was nice to see you again. Thanks again to Erin for joining us today. If you want to follow along with us on Quiet Connection, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Quiet Connection or at Quiet Connection Podcast. You can also find us on all your major podcast platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Amazon, iTunes, and more. Join us next time where another story is told and you realize you're not alone. I see you.